Turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Just uh, keep your finger there. We are in the next part of our uh, continuing service, uh, sermon series, Extravagant Love, a series about God's outrageous love. And today, we're going to be talking about forgiveness, loving outside the lines. And excited to do that. I was a pastor, as many of you know, of a small church. It was kind of a struggling church, and we had our ups and downs. And the last six months of that church's life, Satan had sent us uh, an, an agent of doom, an agent of chaos, a person who was a gossiper and who sort of tore the fabric uh, of that church apart. And it was a very painful thing uh, for me to go through. And it started out as just sort of a small campfire that was left unattended, you know, of conversations and issues with the church and other people. And eventually it engulfed our entire small church in pettiness, grumbling, and backbiting and gossip. And it killed that church. And I want to let you know today that uh, I was really mad about that. To my shame, uh, this person who was the instigator of this, I, I just got tired of confronting them. And so to my shame, I have to say that I just stopped. I just quit. I didn't want to bring it up anymore because I was so tired of uh, her going for the nuclear option on me. And uh, so I just let it go. And I have to tell you that uh, I really hated this person. I'll take that back. I shouldn't say that as a pastor. Actually, I really, really hated this person. <laughs> I loathed her very existence. The very thought of her made me angry, made me seethe with anger. So I quit the church, and as many of you know, I got a job out at Dave Smith Motors, and I vowed that I would never return to ministry. I did not ever want to do that again. I was done with that sort of experiment in my life. I was just going to sell cars and take care of my family. And, and so I lived in Post Falls, and every single day I had about a 50-minute drive over the hill to Kellogg to sell cars. Just me and Jesus alone in my car. And then I would have that same length of drive on the way back home. So almost two hours a day, I got to just sort of sit and wait for the Holy Spirit to start to work on me. It began to convict me about forgiving this person who had sort of destroyed our church. And I knew all the Bible verses. I mean, I didn't, God didn't have to remind me of them. I could quote some of them in Greek, man. I knew those Bible verses. I had preached on every one of them. I had told our congregation, somebody, you know, messes with you, you got to forgive. You got to learn to forgive as Jesus forgave you. And there the Holy Spirit is working on me, convicting me to forgive this person. So I knew what I had to do. I had to construct or concoct some kind of prayer that would just appease the deity, right? <laughs> so here's the one I came up with. It's very heartfelt. Came out something like this. Oh, God, please forgive me for my unforgiving heart. I forgive this person for lying about me, for gossiping in our church, and for destroying our church, which, by the way, you said would prevail against the gates of hell, but apparently couldn't prevail against this horrible, awful person's mouth. <laughs> in Jesus' name, amen. Okay? God was very pleased with that prayer. Now, to my credit, I knew I had to pray that. Jesus said, unless you forgive others, you cannot be forgiven. So I knew I was on the hook. And uh, to my credit, I prayed it literally every day. And for, I prayed it for eight months. But I did not experience a thawing, not even one twinge of forgiveness. The sentiment just wasn't there. 
even though I said the words. About eight months later, I'm driving over the hill, coming home, praying that prayer, dear Jesus, please forgive this stupid, horrible person. And I, I start coming down the hill. You know where the, uh, the Wolf Lodge is right there? I get right to the bottom of the pass uh, where all that junk is on the side. I don't know what, the, that's where the cops wait for you, I guess. And, uh, and so I got right down to the bottom of the hill. And as I was ending that prayer, the Holy Spirit of God invaded my space. I mean, from out of nowhere or maybe from out of everywhere, I can't tell which, the Holy Spirit washed over me and it was like a dam bursting. And I just began to weep uncontrollably. In fact, I almost wrecked my, my Jeep Liberty, almost wrecked my car because I just, I could hardly control. Have you ever had one of those cries? I'm not talking about, you know, where you just kind of tear up at a show, you know, smash is over and you're crying because <laughs> she got the part. I'm not talking about tearing up. I'm talking about a convulsive weeping, weeping from here, weeping empowered by the Spirit of God. It was one of them ugly cries, you know, the kind you don't want anyone else to see because it's just ugly. And so as it was all kind of coming out and I was just, the Spirit of God just washed it out of me and it was gone. And from that day to this, I have never had a problem forgiving this person. In fact, we're back in relationship now, and we're friends again. So I told you that story. I told you that story for two reasons. One, all of us have to practice a lifestyle of forgiving each other our grievances. That's what Paul is going to talk about to us today. That's the extravagant love we're going to talk about today. We have to forgive all the pettiness. Now, there's lots of little stuff that even on staff here, you may not believe it. But there's lots of little things that I do to get on their nerves and they do to get on my nerves. And we just have to live in forgiveness. We just have to. If we're going to live in relationships, the same way in any marriage, lots of petty junk. But then there are some deeper issues, like that one I just told you, where this stuff goes deep. Somebody rejected you at an early age. Somebody betrayed your trust. Somebody did you wrong. And that's the kind of forgiveness that needs spirit empowerment, I truly believe, for God to wash it out. But obedience must precede sentiment. Write that down. Your obedience must come before the feeling of it. If you just wait till you feel like you forgive somebody, that is going to fester. That's not going to be a good situation. Sometimes we have to go through the motions, frankly, and say, yes, God, I do forgive them. And I don't have the heart for it right now, but I want you to give me the heart. I'm open to it, Lord. That's what we're talking about today. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul says this in verses 12 through 13. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Hallelujah. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Isn't that beautiful? Now raise your hand with me. I just want to take a quick survey. Raise your hand today if you think that's a good idea. Go ahead. Let me see them. Okay, yeah. Uh, pretty much 100% of us think that's a great plan. Good way to live, right? Okay, so we all agree on the what. Paul wants to tell us why and how. But in order to do that, we sort of have to back up and start at the beginning of his train of thought, which is in Colossians 3, verse 1. 
So we're going to look at how we actually forgive people. How do we get this power to forgive those who have hurt us? Number one, if you're following along on your outline, number one, we must see ourselves or see yourself from God's perspective. You are new creation. That's what makes forgiveness possible. That's the first step making forgiveness possible. Paul wants to start out by telling these Colossian Christians, hold on, before we get to the forgiveness stuff, understand that you're something different. God has made you something new, something together, altogether different. Look at what he says here in verse one. Since then, you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on this earthly stuff. For you died. Hear the past tense there? You died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The word appear, there's the word apocalypsis, same word that, that we find in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation in Greek is the book of apocalypsis. It means to reveal, for God to reveal himself, his glory, and that's what that book's about. So Paul says God is going to step out of eternity one day and reveal himself to the world. And when he is revealed to the world what you are, these layers are going to peel off. And what you are truly in him is going to be revealed as well. Look at what he says about this in Romans 8. Paul says new creation is on the way. New creation is coming. Listen to how he says it. Romans chapter 8. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory, the radiant glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. This is the hope, he says, for which we have been saved. What is the hope? It's the entire redemption of our entire life. That's the hope. And he says new creation is on the way, and it's as if the world is about to pop. You get that sense? One more tsunami in Indonesia, man. One more volcanic eruption. One more earthquake in Japan. Something. It's as if the world is just waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. And that's going to happen when Jesus comes back. New creation is on the way. And Paul says, the way God sees you, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. That's kind of hard to swallow, isn't it? Well, it's hard when I woke up this morning, I have gout in my foot. That's why I wore my open-toe sandals so you could all see it. (laughs) I have severe arthritis in my neck. I have to type a, dissert- a doctoral dissertation this year and write a book for my, so my literary agent can sell it. And uh, I can barely sit at the computer and type for more than 20 minutes. I got all kinds of joint problems. I got the trick ankles from all the basketball injuries. I can't even play basketball anymore. So everything about my body and my life tells me, man, I'm a part of this messed up creation. But Paul says God sees you as a redeemed resurrected being, something entirely different. 
And that new creation, that new world is coming. It's coming. And not only are you and I participants in that new world, we are the first installment of it. You and I, every single day, walk into our workplace and we are covert agents of a new kingdom. And we tell people every single day just by our presence, just by the way we live, that resurrection power is real and it's coming. It's coming. It's already here. Because you have been transformed by the resurrection power of Jesus. Now, the reason why we can't swallow this is the same reason uh, why scientists could not swallow the idea originally when Copernicus came out with it that uh, the sun revolves or the uh, earth revolves around the sun. Is there anybody in here, by the way, who thinks that the, that the sun revolves around the earth? Can I see your hand? Yeah, no one. It, it, and, but if you lived during Copernicus's time, you would have thought that. And you would have had ample evidence. Because all you had to do was take Mr. Copernicus out to the seashore and sit there and wait on the east coast and wait for that dazzling ball of sunlight to come rising up and filling the horizon with light. And you could sit there for hours and watch the sun literally go around from horizon to horizon. See, Copernicus, there's your evidence. And the scientist would say to you, now, wait a second, that's just an effect of your perspective. The reason why you think the sun goes around the earth is because you only have the uh, perspective of the earthbound observer. But if you were to see things from God's vantage point, you would see and actually, no, we are hurtling through space going around the sun. And it's the same with God here in our new life in the resurrection of Jesus. Now, I could tell God all day long, see, God, all these problems I have. I had a little spat with my wife yesterday. See, I'm not redeemed. See all this joint pain and all this stuff? And God says, no, I see you as a resurrected being, as a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's how I see you. You are a partaker of the next world. And your very existence as a redeemed human being on this earth is a prophetic announcement to the fact that the new creation is coming. That's how God sees you. You don't believe that? Later, read 1 Corinthians 15. So, Forgiving others is possible. Verses 12 and 13 are possible, first of all, when you back up and you know why. Because we are part of that world. Number two, forgiveness is possible when you learn to act your age. Well, now, you can't just know that you are a child of that age, not this one. You have to act your age. A little pun there. Paul's writings are rife with this idea of this age and that age. I mean, they're all over the place. He has all these places in his writings, Romans 8, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4, this passage in Colossians 3, where he talks about this age. Yes, you're here, you're in this age, but you have partaken of the resurrection power of Jesus. You have been redeemed and reborn by his spirit, and so actually you are the nexus. You are the overlap point between this world and the one that's coming. You are. You're God's first miracle of redemption. So God is going to renovate the cosmos. You're the first installment, but eventually he is going to peel the siding off of this place. He's going to strip it down to its studs and remodel it. And it's going to be glorious. It's going to be powerful. But that age is characterized by certain, a certain value system. 
And he says, this age is also characterized by a certain value system. Here's what he says in verse five. So put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature or this age, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. It is coming, Romans 1. For such things, the wrath of God comes. This is what you used to look like. He says, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things such as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off the old self with its practices and put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of Christ the creator or in, in, in the image of the creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all in all. What is he saying? He's saying there is a value system that characterizes this age. Well, that's not yours. Your value system is from the coming age. And this world is characterized by sin, an insatiable desire for it. Oh, I just can't wait until they find out whether or not Chloe is a real Kardashian or not. <laughs> Who cares? Away with it. That's of this age. He says, that's not the value system that I created you to have. Um, some of the things on Paul's list, Paul has lots of sin lists. One of them is Romans 1, one of them's here. He has, he has lots of them. One of them is Galatians chapter 5. These are really fun lists to read through because as you read through them, you sort of get the self-righteousness, like, yeah, stupid people doing that stuff. And then by the time you get to the end of the list, you realize, wow, those kind of sound kind of fun. <laughs> I mean, nobody has to schedule sin, right? You don't have to put it in your schedule, you don't have to just drag yourself and make yourself sin. No. Sin is easy. Why? Because it's fun. Some of that stuff on there is actually quite, quite pleasant. But it's empty. Ultimately, it's empty, and it will leave you empty. A few years ago, I became intrigued by this product uh, called Invisible Gym. Have you heard of Invisible Gym? It's a novelty product. My kids collect... Um, little action figures, and this one is called Invisible Gym. In fact, we'll put a picture of it up on the screen so you can see it. Invisible Gym. Anything about, look, look at the package. Anything missing there? <laughs> I think Jim's missing in the package, right? Well, the distributors noted this as well. When they got all the boxes, they began to unpack them, and they called back the manufacturer and said, uh, you forgot to include the action figures. And they said, no, it's a novelty item. There are no action figures. It's just the box. And that's the way sin is. Sin is just a package. And you, you're getting sold the packaging. But it's empty. There ain't nothing in it. Nothing of eternal value and worth. Oh, it looks good for a time. This happened to me. I experienced this firsthand when I was a kid. I, uh, I used to love those little uh, Twinkie cakes. You guys, how many of you guys admit it, eat Twinkies? Yeah. When I was a little kid, my mom was like super frugal country girl from Virginia. We grew up in rural Virginia. My mom's about this tall, cute <laughs> little lady with a thick southern accent. And uh, she could take a box of Twinkies and make the box of Twinkies last for 12 weeks. She would, you know, we would get a plate and she would sort of take one little tiny piece of the Twinkie and leave it on your plate. You're like, oh, thank you for my Twinkie. 
And no kidding, she was that way. And then one day, I was uh, at, on the porch of the convenience store next to our house. My best friend's family owned this convenience store. And I'm sitting on this big porch, and the guy who, we knew him by name, he was a local guy. His name was Bobby. He was the hostess delivery guy. And he comes out the door making his delivery, and he takes this extra box of Twinkies and throws it over to me. No joke. And it lands on the porch right next to me, and he just drives away. And I went... You know, like I was just, now I got to tell you the truth. My mom had trained me well. So I went home, I took that box of Twinkies, I put them in her cupboard, and uh, I very responsibly ate them over a period of three weeks. That's totally a lie. (laughs) I found a hiding place and I downed those bad boys within 20 minutes. I was on my last Twinkie cake, I opened it up, and I had it, and I was like, (laughs) (laughs) but I couldn't resist and I had to down that last one just because I had a whole box all to myself and I want to tell you they tasted good going down all the way up to that last one but they didn't taste very good coming up and that's the way sin is man sin is delicious straight up tastes good likes it but the problem is, a little bit later, later on, you're going to have an upset spiritual stomach because you're going to be sin-sick to your core. You can't live off that stuff. Why can't you live off that stuff? Because you're not from this age. You're from that age. You don't run on that. You run on the fuel from that world. God has remade you. He has remade your spirit with resurrection power. And that is the fuel you need. That's the value system you need to run your life. And the more you reject it, and the more you live according to this value system. So what does he say here? Let's get back to verses 12 and 13. Here's the value system. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, good stuff. That's what we run on. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. He does not say do not have grievances. He says as you have grievances, forgive. Live in the freedom of forgiveness. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. In order to live a life of forgiveness, you got to know whose you are. You got to know where you come from. You got to act your age. And you got to do one more thing. Number three, Paul says it right here. Forgiveness is possible when you practice the presence of God. This is the big one. Nate and I touch on this a lot in the classes that we teach. We always land on this point. You can't do anything for Jesus until you're empowered and filled with Jesus. I want to show you why that's true. He says here in verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all to the name of the Lord, giving thanks. The Holy Spirit is not just some theological abstraction. He's not our little buddy. 
I think most of us who believe in the doctrine of the Trinity, you know what that is, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. I think there are a lot of Christians who live, though, as if it's the Father, the Son, and the other one. It's not. He's not the other one. And he's not just some theological doctrine that we have on our list. He is a living, present reality. And Jesus sent him as the promise of the Father to redeem you, to remake you, to fill you so that you can be empowered by the Spirit. Now, in Ephesians 5, Paul actually uses the same language he uses here in Colossians 3, and he says, this is how you're filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. How do you do it? Well, the first thing you do is you let Christ's Word dwell in you richly. I want to tell you an embarrassing story, because I just love self-deprecating humor. Um, I got saved when I was earlier. I had a really... I had a conversion experience with Jesus when I was younger, um, but I had no one to help me become a disciple of Jesus. So I spent uh, probably the next eight years of my life just languishing, not knowing what to do, not knowing what the ropes were, not growing in my faith. I didn't know anything about the Bible, had really never read it. And then when I was about 14 years old, my dad was killed. Uh, I got killed, my dad, in a drunk driving accident. The semi-truck that he was driving uh, was more than a match for the 69 Camaro that my dad was driving. Uh, The physics aren't, it's not rocket science. My dad didn't make it out of that one. I was really angry. I mean, I was was angry at the man who had taken my father's life. The, The irony is that he lost his life in the accident too. He was dead and gone and I was still mad at him. And so over the next few months, over the next six months, I began a process of searching. I had been tethered. I was still tethered back to this conversion experience with Jesus I had, but I was so lost. I was saved, but barely. And man, I began to search for God. God, give me some answers in this deal because my daddy's gone. And uh, I was with some friends one night. I recommitted my life to Jesus, long story short. And we started having these Bible studies in my, in my room and these guys had, were really raw Christians. I mean, they had been born again. They were my homies that we used to hang with in the hood. And I'm not joking about that. And these guys got radically saved. And I'm telling you, they were, the freaks come out at night. These guys were the freaks. <laughs> and they got saved, man. And we started, we would spend about 30 minutes reading the Bible in my room. And then it would turn into this just Holy Spirit charismatic prayer meeting, man. We would worship together and sing, and God would just do amazing things. And you know what I discovered? I discovered this truth in Colossians 3. Let the words of Jesus richly fill your life and practice the presence of God. Sing. Make melody. Sing in the Spirit. Invite the Holy Spirit into your world, into your space, and practice the presence of God. You know what happened to my unforgiveness for the man who killed my dad? It just evaporated. It was gone. I didn't hold anything against him, and from that day to this, I never have. Because I was so filled with the presence of Jesus. And so one day, I sat down on the floor, and I used to read this book right here. It's called Ask Him Anything by Lloyd John Ogilvie, and I kept it all these years. (laughs) This book is so cool, man. Pastor Ogilvie is like this double doctorate guy. I mean, this super smart dude. And uh, this book would have these, these questions in it like, uh, what is God like? 
And Dr. Ogilvy would, would, would write his answers, and I would sit and read and think to myself, how can this dude know that much? I don't even understand. And so then what I started to do is I started reading the question, and then I would read his answers as if I were giving the answer. Kind of embarrassing. But God had just planted in me a voracious hunger to know the answer, to know his word. And I wish I could tell you there was some magic pill that you could take. I wish there had been for me, but there wasn't. I couldn't become an instant theologian overnight. From then till now, I have devoted myself to studying and knowing the scriptures. I'm not saying you have to become a scholar. What I'm saying is, when you devote yourself to the word of God, every day you get up and you listen to the scriptures on your iPod and you sing and worship in your car on your way to work, every day you walk in here and you lift your hands and engage Jesus in worship and give your attention to the word of God, you are practicing the spirit-filled life. You are practicing what, it, what Paul is talking about here, about filling up your life with Jesus' sayings and filling up your life with the spirit of God. This is how we do it. It is practicing the presence of God in the community of God as we listen to the authentic voice of God, which is his word. That's the secret. It's not rocket science. It's just very simple. And so we can live a life of forgiveness empowered by the Holy Spirit as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, as we replace the value system of this world with the next world, and as we understand that we are God's. We have been saved, and it's a done deal. As far as God is concerned, D-O-N-E. That's why Paul speaks of it in the past tense, though we don't see it yet. Let's pray. Will you please close your eyes? I'm going to invite the worship team to come on back up. I, uh, I want to, I'm a very direct person, so I'm just going to get straight to it. I have three responses, three challenges this morning that I would like for you to respond to right now. As, as everybody's heads are bowed and eyes are closed, the first one is for those of you who are Christians, and you're here, and you're a born-again believer in Jesus, but there's something in your heart that you're holding against someone else. And Jesus would say to you, and Paul would say to you, forgive your grievances. Forgive them right now. Now, you may not feel it. You may not feel the sentiment of it. Sometimes obedience has to precede the feeling. And right now, will you just let them off the hook? Right now, will you just say, God, that parent that rejected me at an early age. God, that, that, that person who hurt me and betrayed me and threw me under the bus. Lord, I let them off the hook right now. And I ask that you would just wash that unforgiveness out of me from head to toe. The second challenge and response that I, I want to get is from those of you who have never received the forgiveness of Jesus. You're sitting here. You may even be a churchgoer, but you've never had that moment where you have let the forgiveness of Jesus wash over you. Will you do it right now? Invite him to invade your space. God, help me. Forgive me of my sins. I've made some mistakes. I have acted according to the value system of this age, and I'm sorry. Forgive me. Save me. Redeem me. Make me a child of the next age.
a child of the new world that's coming by your resurrection power. Thirdly, I want to challenge those of you who are lazy Christians. And you come in here once in a while. You attend ever so often. Maybe you just stand there and you've never tried to engage the presence of God. Listen, we're going to sing this last song. And as we do, would you quietly make a commitment that you are going to practice the spirit-filled life. You are going to sing from your heart with the family of God and you are going to devote yourself to the word of God being filled with it so that you can practice the presence of God. Will you do that right now? Just make that commitment. Jesus will take you up and help you to make good on it. Make that promise. God, I promise. God, I want to sing with my heart. I want to worship you in spirit and in truth. I want to know your word. I want to replace this value system with your value system. God, help me. In Jesus' name, amen. On, uh, able to go out on a note like that, that's terrific, huh? Well, so this week, you're covert operatives of this new kingdom. Just remind yourself with every interaction that you belong to another age, a coming world, and you're the first installment. You're the overlap point where heaven and earth meet in a big, fat, sloppy, wet kiss, all right? <laughs> you're, the, you're the kingdom representatives and live by that value system. Forgive your neighbor. God bless you. Have a great week.